You're listening to the number one Oilers podcast, Handkerchief Dynasty. Two minutes for interference. Welcome one, welcome all, Handkerchief Dynasty. Episode 86, I am, as always, your secret professor, joined by my good friend, the High Priest of Oilers Magic, as well as a local legend. Uh, His friends know him as Alan Mitchell, the Oilogosphere knows him as Low Tide. Uh, In the East, he is known as Mithrandier. But uh, here we just like to call him Mitch. Uh, welcome to the show, Mitch. Thanks for coming back. I understand about every third word you say, but I'm I'm okay. It's all good. How uh, you have a good uh, Thanksgiving? Are you? Uh, did the turkey? Did the turkeys pay for all their crimes against us? Oh man, I'm telling you, it, my wife, Mrs. Lowtide. I've been married to her for like a long, longer than you've been alive, and she makes a perfect turkey, perfect dressing, perfect everything. And then there's apple pie. So I was, in all honesty, I, I ate and I, I fell asleep, which is embarrassing, right? Like, adults don't do that. But I did it, and I was very happy. Uh, and it's been a, 2020 has been a weird year. So it was nice to have something that I could count on, and, and it, it was as good as I thought it would be. So it was nice. I, I really enjoyed it. Glad to hear it. I mean, falling asleep is not a crime at all. If anything, like, I'm sure you were the image of repose after a nice, satisfying <laughs> meal, you know, in a, in a warm den, nestled in a scarf, you know? It's, a, it's the kind of thing all the romantic painters would have been, would have been all over. Um, sure. Listen, we had, uh, we had a great uh, post-day uh, one of free agency and, and, and post-draft uh, chat with Zach, and it's pretty crazy to get all this bunched up this year. It's, uh, it's kind of like Christmas and Thanksgiving all, all on the same weekend, but... Um, we haven't uh, we haven't talked at all about the big Tyson Berry news, so I figure that's uh, that's the most that's the best place to start. Um, what are your uh, what are your thoughts on this Tyson Berry signing? It's the best free agent signing um, in in memory, to be honest with you. Uh, well, how far do you have to go back, really? I mean, yeah, it's like you yeah. like Sekera, maybe Charlie Huddy, maybe Charlie Huddy in '81 or something. It, the, the thing about it is, it's a great player, a great offensive player. Uh, and, you know, and he had a, you know, he had a struggle of a year. I, I, you know, Toronto had a struggle with their team, so I'm not going to blame Barry for it, but he would not have been here at this price without that year. Uh, I've seen him play for many years, uh, and there's some chaos to his game, but I don't want to overrate that. He's a, he's a quality player. And I remember very well, there was a rumor maybe five years ago, uh, maybe less than that, but it was a few years ago of a three-way trade where, Truba was heading to Colorado, Nuge was heading to Winnipeg, and uh, uh, um, Barry was heading to Edmonton, and that was the rumor at the time. And and you know, as time has gone on, I think that that all three of those players have had good, bad, or indifferent seasons or injuries or whatever. But Barry is a like this is not a this is not a piece that you add uh, who can help you in a in a small way. He's a substantial player, and and I'll be fascinated number one to see how much he plays and number two if he can pass 50 points because i think he can i think he might get 60 on this power play and then knock it out of the park next year with a multi-year deal with someone probably possibly even the oilers if we're lucky um it's definitely yeah it's it's i think i think i think seeing him rebound offensively is something that um there's there's a decent it's a decent bet um that we're going to see that um if we I also am really impressed with this signing just in the context of uh, the cleft bomb news and rumors. And it does look like the Oilers are planning on basically um, assuming that they won't have access to his services uh, all of next year. So just having that that Tyson Berry to plug in on the power play, who's probably even possibly an upgrade offensively on that power play, um, is definitely really, really exciting. I mean, the big question for me is, you know, at even strength. You know, we're still probably going to need someone besides Barry to chew up some of those minutes. Um, and when you look at the the players in the defense core, uh, who, who do you think are the are the prime candidates to uh, to elevate their their even strength play? 
in terms of defensemen? Yeah. Well, I think this is going to be an interesting year because I think they'll stay with Nurse Bear as a as a tandem, and that you know, Bear was a rookie last year. There's always a possibility that a rookie rookie will, you know, slide back uh, in year two. But if he can maintain that and that pairing can do uh, what they did a year ago, you you have Larson with a young Caleb Jones. I like that pairing a lot. Uh, if Larson is healthy, he can really help Jones come along quickly. Jones is a real key player uh, this year for this organization. And then I like the third pair. I know a lot of people don't, but I like the idea of the third pair of a veteran Russell who's a stay-at-home type. He, he defends too much because he can't get the puck out. And, and then you have Barry, who is like a machine at either transporting or passing. So uh, for me, the the offensive player with the shutdown guy uh, on the, the two – the second and third pairings, and then Nurse Bear at the top should give everybody a chance to flourish. But the key players for me on defense will be Bear maintaining or moving ahead and Jones delivering on the promise that, that we saw uh, at the end of the 1920 season. And with Bear, I mean, he's really kind of the big, the last big um, bit of homework Ken Holland has this summer to re-sign. Um, are, you, are you hearing anything interesting? Do you Do you have any idea how much... I mean, assuming it's a one or two year bridge deal, could we be looking at like a 3.5 as the number? I know that was that was bandied about a bit um, comparing his season to uh, Darnell, Darnell Nurse's season just prior to him signing that, that bridge deal for about 3.5. My guess is it's low. It'll be a one year deal at one and a half or less. Uh, I don't think they have any room at all. Uh, they're, they're less than a million uh, in room now. And... They have to sign Lajeson, which is a uh, eight hundred thousand, and he, you know, may not make the roster. But uh, Bear, that they would have room, they'd have to slide a little bit of Clefbaum's LTIR money to Bear, uh, and then they have to make a decision on how they're going to handle uh, Clefbaum's dollars. But uh, I, I don't see three and a half for if they if they could sign him to three and a half, I'd be thrilled. I just don't see how you get there, based on what is less than a million and the LTIR for Clefbaum. So that's like if you stretch it 4.8, but then you have to beg Clefbaum not to come back, and and that's a very dangerous game to play. Mm. I got one more question about the D, and then I can throw, I can throw it to the high priest. Um, and this is my wackiest question about the defensive core, because I know, I mean, you don't you don't tamper with perfection when it comes to our power play um, and how strong it was last year. But I wonder if a Bouchard or a, or say even a Broberg, he that he that we uh, call the chosen one. If they emerge and have a really strong camp, I mean, could we see another defenseman on that power play along with uh, with Nuge, Leon, and uh, and Connor, rather than like kind of taking up, like maybe put Leon in front of the net or something like that? Well, I, I, I honestly I don't see it, and, and I'll tell you why. I think Barry gets the number one power play on the right side, Nuge probably on the left side of the defense, uh, and I, it, the the problem is you've got. Uh, um, you know, Klepbaum had the shot. Nurse has a good shot, but he's not—he's not a consistent player, and, and he likes to transport, but he's not a, a, a terribly creative player. Uh, Bear, I like a lot. Uh, maybe he could, but he's also right-handed. You'd have to have two righties on the power play. I—I I, I think that, like, guys, there's a chance this power play will have better personnel this year. In fact, I think they will, and they'll be less successful, which sounds contrary, but. I think that may happen because I think Kleppbaum is not superior to Barry as a power play defenseman. And yet I don't know how on God's earth you improve last year's numbers. Yeah. I mean, it's statistically, it's going to be hard to, I mean, you, you always expect a regression to the mean, like, especially when you're dealing with things like, you know, the best power play in a third of a century. Um, yeah. I, I, I do. I think that's a good way of putting it. Like that's that's a good way to kind of temper the expectations of Oil Country a little bit, where we have better personnel, but we should probably expect a little bit of a, a dip in the performance. Although I still think it'll be a top five power play. I mean, I'd book that right now. Um, so High Priest of Oilers Magic, haven't heard from you yet. I'm curious your thoughts on uh, on all this, Barry, and the the ramifications for the defensive core. Are you seeing anything in the tea leaves or the or the entrails? Um, I'm not seeing. I mean. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a great signing. I think I think that uh, I think there was some things Holland did and didn't do that sort of had people 
questioning his moves until sort of the dust settled and and what what is is and then people were like yeah that's not so bad i, I think like this will i think this is a good move one of the things that we didn't do was was get a goalie uh, Lota, do you were you of the opinion that that was something that was a a must a must buy during uh, the free agent frenzy or were you sort of like meh I mean, I think uh, that you thought we had the guys that could maybe do it already. I, I my suggestion, which was uh, adored by no one uh, and and uh, ignored by everyone, was that the order sign Aaron Dell, uh, who is the backup in San Jose, had a 907 save percentage, uh, and I felt like they could get him for like a million and a half. And so when they signed Smith, I don't have any issue with them signing Mike Smith. He had a 902 save percentage. Uh, Holland said uh, he was talking to Daniel Nugent Bowman in, in August in an uh, interview, and he said, "If you take December's numbers out, uh, he had a pretty good year, and that is true. The, the average save percentage in the NHL uh, in in 2019-20 was 9.05, and if you take December out for for Mike Smith, his save percentage, I believe, is 9.08. So I, I understand it. My issue was you are dealing with a player who." Um, if he goes sideways on you, it'll be in a hurry, and it may cost you some NHL games, and then you've got to find a goaltender. What what I didn't know when they first announced the the signing was that it's for 1.5 million and then bonuses. I thought it was 2 million. So 1.5 million is, you know, if he does, you know, if if Mike Smith in the middle of the year uh, develops an injury or is ineffective for three starts in a row they can either IR him or send him down. It'll be a, a slight, you know, cost of the cap, but not a, not a massive amount. And they can go out and get a goaltender in midseason. Not ideal, but from the sounds of it, they, they offered Markstrom a lot of money, and I would have been less happy with that than I am with them not signing him and then using the money on Barry. Uh, the orders were, uh, in my opinion, uh, in, a, in a bit of a tough spot because – their young goaltenders haven't pushed enough. Uh, Skinner is not ready. Uh, Konovalov maybe, but he's not a free agent until next year. Uh, they'll, I think they'll have a better spot next year. If you sign Smith for this year, Konovalov continues to play well, then you can sign him and he could come in and be your backup to Koskinen, maybe with an eye uh, to being the start of the following year. Are you, yeah. pic- are you picturing more of a, a uh, one and two situation this season as opposed to a 1a 1b situation well i think you know in regard to to dave tippett he handled mike smith the way he's always handled mike smith and that's when smith is hot he plays him and when he isn't he won't play like he he backs off a little bit so i I think it depends on smith um i talked to to cat silverman who's a really smart observer of goaltenders uh and she said you know smith is one of the the least consistent uh, uh, famous goalies we've seen in this generation. When he's running hot, you can't beat him, right? And so I, I think, I, I think in a way, uh, Tippett is kind of a goalie whisperer, and that might be why Smith, partly why Smith uh, is back because Holland trusts that relationship they have. But I, I think I, I, I will say if they play, you know, 60 games then maybe 40 go to Koskinen and 20 to Smith. But that's a guess, because if Smith gets hot, they will play him. Yeah, well, that's, that's, a, that's the other thing, though. Like, if we do only see 60 games, I mean, and yes, Mike Smith has, I think he has, He's the consistency is the question. He's got a really high ceiling. Um, but in, if he only gets into, if he only gets 20 starts this year, I mean, the, the risk of that possible inconsistency is really limited, don't you think? Well, that's always been the case, though. The, the, you know, when Smith got into a bit of a funk in uh, December, he wasn't the only one. There was a, you know, the, if you go and look at the like Leon shooting percentage, for instance, they, it, it's almost like they're the the whole damn team was cursed for a month. So, and Smith, we, like because he's the way he is, that's the risk you take. He's not a, um, you know, if you go and look like it. Um, um, Hockey reference, if you go on the backside and you look at his month-by-month day percentages, it will scare the hell out of you. But at the, at the end of the day, you know, he, he was hot as a firecracker down the stretch in January through March, and I think that's what, what Holland remembers. I will say, and I wrote this at The Athletic on the weekend, I think if you're a betting man, you bet 
that the Oilers employ three goaltenders next year. I think Holland will will have to go out at some point in time, whether it be injury or whatever the case may be, mm. uh, and find another goaltender for a time at least. Interesting, interesting thought. Those um, are those are bold. Those are big swings, Low Tide. I think those are those are bold flavors. I think I think the flexibility that we're retaining right now is going to help us because the. I think the goalie market, the goalie UFA market seems like there's, there's, you know, there's good goalies that seemingly are available every year. So, I mean, yeah, we missed out on Markstrom this year, but we'll have, we'll have another, uh, another at bat soon. Um, what do you think of Olivier Rodrigue, Lotai? Do you think he's still a legit prospect on the goalie front? Just to tie a bow on the goalie discussion. Oh yeah. I, I think his last half of his uh, Q season was, was outstanding. And in fact, uh, I, I, I had the look and it was, it was, Fairly rare to see a, a Q goalie, which is a tough league for goalies, uh, end uh, his his uh, junior career at such a uh, an impressive level. He was absolute fire uh, down the stretch in the in the Quebec Major League, and actually starting pretty well. He had a great outing. I think he stopped 29 of 31 or something uh, in his first outing over in Europe. So I, I think I think Rodrigue and and Konovalov are are the the real good prospects right now in the order system now the thing about Oilers goaltenders is often they evaporate they you know they come to a boil and then the where they where are they they never arrive so you never know but i i think both of these guys are 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 good and uh, rodrigue i believe is the taller the bigger of the goaltenders and and he's probably the better bet but uh kind is at 930 a save percentage in the khl this year that's really good yeah, and I, I always will t- have, take some faith from the fact that goalies are voodoo and can surprise you. So um, I think our AHL-level goalies, the Skinner and whatnot, maybe aren't blowing the doors off right now, but there's always there's always hope for the next generation. Um, moving on to the other big uh, free agent signing, uh, or, or certainly the, the, the next biggest one, is, uh, is Kyle Turris, um, who I think is an interesting signing in terms of uh, a someone who could slot into the third line, center role, maybe be more of an offensive player, um, closer to maybe a Strom than we had before, although Strom had some good defensive dimension as well. Um, and he's had, a, he's had a nice low number, and, you know, I think uh, I think he's he brings a, a little bit of a veteran presence as well. Um, I'm, I'm liking that signing a lot. Do you agree? I, I was surprised by it. I'll tell you why. I thought, I really thought they would go for another shutdown, suppression-type checking center. They went the opposite way. I think what I think what Tippett wanted and Holland wanted was a third line that could outscore, and as opposed to you know giving up a goal and maybe getting one back, they're 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 feeling like you know tourists with with say Yessa Pugliarvi and Tyler Ennis as an example. Uh, that line could be a third line, and they could score you some goals. Now they're going to give up some too because uh, in in Nashville a year ago. Uh, they they actually were I think 13 goals uh, in the black to the better uh, Nashville was as a team and Tourist when he was on the ice at five on five was minus eight. You, you want to close that. All the orders need to do. Uh, they don't even have to get to 50-50, but they've got to stop bleeding on their third and fourth lines. And I think they, the orders feel like uh, tourists can come in, maybe mentor some of these kids. Uh, they, they're they're going to make their decisions here on these young players pretty damn soon, I think. And and so a guy like Pugliarvi and Turris and Ennis will give uh, an opportunity for Pugliarvi to adapt into the NHL, play consistently, and at least get to 48% or something like that in terms of the goal differential. My suspicion is that's the goal. I didn't see it coming. I thought they were going to get a checking center. They did not. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I don't think Riley Sheehan signed anywhere yet, has he? No, he hasn't. He hasn't. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm curious. I'm really wondering if they're done, done. Like, I mean, part of me wonders if there's still a Chris Russell deal and, and a, a shuffle on the defense that's coming. But the, reading the kind of body language that's out there, it seems it seems like Ken Holland might be mostly done other than, say, like a depth defenseman on the minor league. Do you think Do you think the others are done in free agency? Or is there someone you're you're still pining after that's uh, that's still out there? Uh, two things. Number one, I think they will make a trade. They'll trade a right winger for a left winger. Uh, that's my feeling. And then in free agency, there's 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 actually several. Um, uh, the defenseman that I like is Slater Cuckoo, who uh, played for Chicago 
and is a good player. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that he could, you know, he could come in and play for the Oilers. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe play ahead of some of the guys that they've got, you know, uh, slotted into the top six. And then from a forward point of view, and I'm, look, they don't have much money. Like they, they would probably have to trade somebody and then sign. But uh, Anthony Duclair still hasn't signed. Uh, Dominic Cahoon hasn't signed. Uh, Drake Kajula hasn't signed. Athanasiu, who they offered a contract to, hasn't signed. Josh Levo hasn't signed. So those are, you know, you can say, well, geez, those, that's not any screaming hell. But if you look at what, what the orders are trying to do, and you're, you're just going based on, hey, we need a skill guy here or there. Um, I, you know, if, if you end up sending Negard to the minors because you've signed Cahoon and he ends up winning the job, I think that's a I think that's a fair trade. You're you're not you don't owe uh, Negard anything, and if you can improve your team uh, by signing Cahoon, as an, just as an example, I think that's a really uh, astute move. I don't know that the Otis can afford it, but I think that that's something they they may want to try. We've had uh, two summers now with uh, Kenny Holland at the helm. Um, we have a little bit of an idea. I mean, last year he, he kind of signed a lot of kind of scratch ticket contracts. Um, I think this year is probably the more impressive free agency. Um, but like, what, what kind of grade would you give uh, young Kenny Holland on his first two uh, summers here so far as Oilers GM? I gave him a B-plus last year, and people went nuts on me. They thought that was low. I, I was so impressed with him being able to trade the Lucic deal, which you may recall had a just a deathly uh, expansion uh, uh, portion to it that might have meant somebody like Caleb Jones or Ethan Bear would have been lost in the expansion draft. So he made that deal. Uh, I, I did like his smaller deals as well. This year, the it's sort of a mixed bag, but the uh, you know I, I think you have to be realistic and I think you have to be fair. And the the signing of, of Barry is a home run. And so, you know, you can bitch and moan about the Mike Smith deal, but you can, you can cover that off in the middle of the year or in a waiver pickup or whatever. The, the Tyson Barry addition is an actual guy who can help you in the NHL this coming season for less than $4 million. And you can say, well, come on, there's the, you know, the COVID. And well, there are teams out there who haven't signed a, a free agent that good for that money. So I, right now I'd probably give him an A. Yeah, yeah, I would be inclined to agree. I think for sure, um, and that's that's even um, accounting for the fact that maybe he has one more move up his sleeve that we would really like. Um, well, uh, I mean, it, it's going to be really interesting. We had this very kind of uh, compressed uh, draft and free agency period here, but I'm really curious. Like, I really have no clue in my mind when the when I could even legitimately expect the regular season to start. Um, I think January 15th is, is a is a date kind of floating in my head. Um, if you had to put like, like, if you had to place a bet today, low tide, Mitch, what would you say? What would you say would be a reasonable time for the regular season to start, given that we can only know so much right now? I think your window is about right. It might you know it might start. They've got to get it done by mid June. So you know, it, let's say in a 30 day month you could do uh, 15 games. So January 15, uh, 14 in February, that's 29. Another 15 in March, that's 44. April, you play all of April, you get another 15 done. That's about 60. Then you start your playoffs. You'll be a little late, but you can get there. So the more you move that back, the more you're moving again into summer. I, I you know, I think we're going to – the NHLPA and the, the – the NHL are meeting now. They're kind of just blue skying ideas. One of them is a Canadian league, I think, and, or a Canadian division, and and a few other things. Um, there's there's a there's a point none of us know, and excuse me. So it makes this conversation very difficult. I don't know what the drop dead number is, and by drop dead I mean there's a number where the NHL owners won't start the year unless they're guaranteed it because they'll lose too much money. And NHL owners, I, I, I know they will have lost money in the last year, and I know they'll lose money next year, but you don't want to lose too much of it. And, and you want to build back towards when you're making good dollars. So 
everything I like, I'm no expert, but I, I watched 60 Minutes last night, and they were talking about, you know, uh, one of the doctors said something like he thinks not a cure, but an ability to to be able to get back to somewhat normal uh, is is not far away. So with that as the backdrop, I think January 15th is a pretty astute guess, and I'll say January 1st to 31st, somewhere in there is probably um, a, a, a fairly educated guess. Of all the kind of uh, tidbits that have come out vis-a-vis the, the ideas they're, they're floating for the regular season, I think the Canadian division is one that's had the most traction. Um, I've always been very skeptical of it, just in terms of time zones and whatnot. Um, but obviously, if they did something like a you know, uh, compressed series in each location, um, maybe get around that a little bit there. I mean, is that do you, do, you, do you really think that's something the NHL would do? I mean, obviously, the Canadian fans would love it. Um, but I, do you think that's something we could really reasonably expect? It seems kind of crazy to me. Well, it's, it's, it is, um, it's an unusual idea, but we're in unusual times. And there's, there's, seven, there's seven teams in the Canadian division, right? Is that right? Seven? That sounds seven right, yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, numbers escape me. So you'd be playing each team's 10 times, uh, and, and you'd be playing them a lot if you were playing a 60-game schedule. The, you know, right now in Edmonton, we're having a, a, a fairly large spike uh, in, in COVID, and, you know, everybody's hoping that it goes away and, and you know, schools are back now. So there's, there's reasons why it's spiking, but you want to get that down. And, and so it's hard to see from here, but I, I think, you, you know, if you're going to go ahead, you've got to have a schedule. Uh, I don't see Canada opening up the border to the States like in the next six months. Um, but I also think that, and, and I am not getting into this. I'm just going to say it, and then I'm not going to address it again. We have a U.S. election coming up, and, and one of the things that could come out of that is a fairly quick uh, return to what would be concerned to be, considered to be normalcy in addressing worldwide this uh, virus. And so that could make things... Uh, more encouraging quickly, and I I do not want to say anything more than that because I don't want to be I, I I don't talk politics for a very specific reason because people go nuts. But I think that's I think that's the thing everybody's waiting for is is you know what is the way to get the coronavirus under control the quickest? Everybody knows it. So if that starts to become the norm, then it becomes easier to make plans and projections as a business. Um, yeah, it's it's it's. I I, I appreciate uh, both you touching on the point and refusing to uh, to elaborate on it. So maybe I'll just I'll do it for you. I mean, I would be curious who the f is even in the White House when the next Stanley Cup uh, winner go team which the Stanley Cup winning team goes to visit the White House. I mean I think I'd probably say President Harris would be the number one percentage. But I mean it could be Jared and Ivanka. It could be Vladimir fucking Putin for all we know. I mean, geez Louise, it's a very fluid situation. Um yeah, I'll be I'll be really watching the news closely on that front because um obviously I'm going to need uh, every little bit of uh, of hockey content to keep my grim little life uh, from going completely off the rails. Uh, but moving from the immediate future to the distant future, uh, maybe we can turn to the Oilers uh, draft, um, which I thought was pretty interesting this year. Uh, if you have time to uh, to go over that, Mitch, we can start the sure wind-down procedure as well. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Well, okay, hold off on the wind-down procedure, Captain. Yeah. Okay, the self-destruct sequence has been deactivated. So, I mean, I'm, I'm curious. I think, I think we kind of, as Oilers fans, kind of, uh, kind of tore like a wrenched ourselves into a tizzy with all these scenarios vis-a-vis getting Jarvis and all these players we were hoping would drop to us. Um, but ultimately, you know, the 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 early first round uh, dashed all of those hopes. I mean, what, do you do you have any thoughts on on picks one through thirteen? Um, anything you thought was like a particularly interesting one or that broke your heart vis-a-vis uh, one one of those players that we've been coveting dropping to us? What I found interesting, you know, I, I, 
I'm a draft nerd, and so I I was aware of the 1971 draft. I won't tell you why because it's too long, but something really major happened uh, during the 1971 draft that turned into a, 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 a nationwide political story. And my dad was always reading the news and telling me what the news meant. And, and so I, I found out via my dad and the news why this was uh, uh, the hockey was important uh, at that time. And so I've been following it since 71. And I will tell you, I do not recall a draft where, you know, universally, the if you go back to after Buffalo takes Quinn, so that's number eight, to where Edmonton picked, which is 14. So that's five players. I had, I had my list, and I had five guys, and I said, if, if, if one of these five guys doesn't get picked, the Oilers are going to get him, and it's going to be uh, rejoice Oilers fans. And the players were Marco Rossi, Cole Perfetti, uh, Yaroslav Askarov, Anton Lundell, and Seth Jarvis. And they all went 9 through 13. Now, that's good scouting by everybody, so you've got to congratulate them. And life is what it is. The Oilers were a better team this year, so the teams that are worse get the better players. But where they drafted, they got a player who uh, obviously they really like. They they had to make a decision. The two players that, that I had um, that I thought maybe they would go with just because of, of the way – uh, the draft had gone up until that point, where Connor Zary, who ended up going to Calgary at 24, and he has some foot speed issues. And my my feeling is the Oilers are not going to be uh, drafting anybody in the next decade who uh, is is a little bit slow of foot. I think they're going to be a fast team under under Holland. And then the other player was, excuse me, uh, Dawson Mercer who is uh, a Quebec major junior hockey league player, um, shoots right, he's a center. And what I liked about him was, uh, and he would, he would have been my pick on my list, uh, he, he's, he's very skilled. Uh, he he, he you know, has various different skills that he brings, kind of a range of, of ability. Uh, and, and he looked like a really good bet. He looked like a guy, I think I had him at 11, and he looked like a guy who was going to be uh, able to project as a skill guy. Holloway, the guy they picked, is a little less than that. He's a he's a he could be a checking center. He could be a complementary uh, forward. But they drafted him because of what he is, which is a guy who can bang and crash and win puck battles and play third line center. So there's two ways he can get there. But that's what the orders are going to look like in five years. Yeah, I think I think we ended up with a with a good player at fourteen that probably wasn't on most people's radar, but when you look at him, um, it's, it's a pretty exciting player. I think also you have to give uh, Kenny Holland and the and the scouts credit for the 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 move they made to trade trade down and, and get and get two players in uh, kind of the mid rounds that are both both look like they should project pretty well and, and kind of fell uh, and were taken a lot lower than some people had them. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, young Carter Savoy, and I think that's how you pronounce his name, and uh, and Tyler Tulio, just like uh, taking this kind of a pair? I had Tulio uh, higher than Savoy. I don't like Savoy. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, Tulio, I, I just can't believe he was still there. I don't know why. Um, I don't know why he was there. I don't I don't scope, but I do math, and his, the math of his draft is really good. Like, if you're if you're looking at a guy who appears to have, if you're looking for a player who matches other players who have gone on to play in the NHL because they had enough offense, Tulio is one of those guys. And and it was a weird draft. The, the Hurricanes got Noel Gundler, who is going to be a really good NHL player, at 42. And I like Savoy, too. I think Savoy is, um, somebody said, it might have been Scott Wheeler, but it, I'm not sure who it was that he might have the second best like shot slash release uh, in the whole draft. And, and like, that's what the orders would be looking for. Now he's a little undersized, but he's, he's 200 pounds. He's a built like a, a, a Coke machine, five, nine, 200, but he can scoot. Uh, and Tulio is, is um, you know, the OHL is a tough league and he did well in it. I think that was a, that might be five years from now, the pick we're all talking about. 
Yeah, uh, and I, I was honestly, I felt vindicated in a weird way that they ended up. I mean, I'm sure they, I'm sure they were close to drafting a defenseman or maybe even who knows a goalie at, at various points, but they did end up drafting all forwards, which organizationally fills a need. Um, and also philosophically, I think, you know, using those late round draft picks on on forwards that have skill that maybe have dropped down in the draft due to uh, size or um, maybe skating or things that you could that, that you can kind of work around. Um, do you, do you feel good about about kind of betting on these on these young forwards this year, given that that we kind of have a little bit of a dearth of uh, of forward prospects in the system? Well, I really like the the Russians are um, like Denishkin a year ago and um, Bereshkin this year. Those are the kinds of guys I think you should draft. And here's why: they're playing in uh, junior leagues in Russia, and there's a lot of there's a lot we don't know about them, right? And so that means there's, there's, you know, you're, you're, you're drafting from uh, a pool of talent where you can get real bargains. They may end up being nothing. And most often they end up being something, but they won't come over, right? Like they just, it's like Alexei Mikhanov who, who, you know, I mean, first he loved a girl that his visa was wrong, then he couldn't see. There was all these excuses in Russia. It's sometimes hard to get out of the country. Uh, and, and then some guys don't just don't want to leave. They want to play there, and that's understandable. But when you draft a bunch of these guys, and Holland is really good at this. He has been over the years with Swedes, too. If you're, you know, I think Holland drafts the old-fashioned way, which is he gets a tip on players. Like, I know that he would have talked to everybody about Dylan Holloway, and, and I bet he's talked about all of these players that they drafted, too. So your you're, you're, you're scouts like the guy, but you've also done the background on them, and then people you trust wherever they play in the world have also told you good things about the guy. And so Holland's kind of a, you know, he's, he's, a, he's an old-timey guy that way, I think, where, where a lot of his decision-making is based on gut feel, but it's, it's also based on what others are telling him. It reminds me a lot of um, when Craig McTavish was the, was the general manager. Um, he, he signed a guy, uh, Jordan Osterley, out of I think Western Michigan, and I, if I I might be wrong, but I think that was Andy Murray who was coaching there, and that was the relationship there, right? There was a there was a coach there who liked him a lot, probably gave a tip to to Mac T, and he got him. I think that's how the Oilers draft, and you know, I I as a, as a rule you wouldn't necessarily say that's a brilliant idea, but when you're talking like 170th in the draft or whatever, the, the the NHL teams are really good at drafting. I know people don't like to give them credit, but they are. So by that time, there's not a lot left. And so taking a risk on a Russian is a good idea, I think. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely agree. Um, I, I'll, as, as a fellow draft nerd, I will I will follow all these uh, players closely up until the point where they drop off and then I'll probably forget all about them. Um, so I'm curious... Uh, because at this point, I mean, you know, last year around this time, if you asked me who our top forward prospects in the system were, I, I would say, as I, as I would say today, uh, Raphael Lavoie is the number one. Um, is there, if you were, I mean, we have we have a lot of bad histories, Oilers fans rushing uh, young forward prospects into roles where they aren't set up to succeed. Um, and I think, thankfully, it looks like those days are well behind us now. So I, I certainly don't think we'll see any of these guys rushed. Um, but who, who would you say are the, are the most likely forward prospects? Because we talk so much about the defense because we got so many great young defensemen in the system. But who, who do you like to be the next uh, couple of, maybe couple of uh, forward prospects to matriculate to uh, full-time NHL duty in the next couple of years here? Well, I think, I think uh, the first thing to remember is if you have foot speed, you're going to get a push. So I think Ryan McLeod is, is well ahead of everybody. Um, and I, you know, I say that because, uh, you know, Tyler Benson has had better years. Cooper Marodi had a really good year than a injury played year, but both of those guys have some skating issues, which isn't to say they can't play. But I don't think they're going to be, um, you know, they might <clears throat> be a mid-season recall and they catch on and they have a career. I think I think the orders project McLeod as being a guy who's going to be a part of their team. Uh, Lavoie is the same way, but he's not in the AHL yet, so. I would say the, the the two forwards 
that are most likely to come in and play, say, top nine role on the team in the next two or three years are are Lavoie and we'll see about Holloway, maybe him, but <clears throat> Lavoie and uh, and McLeod. I, I I based on what I've seen and based on how the Oilers drafted, I think anybody with speed uh, is going to get a push, and that means McLeod. Word, word, love it. Um, one last question here. We'll start the wind-down procedure. Captain, can you start that for us, please? Okay, thank you. Um, so so grateful you had time to talk today, uh, Mitch. It's always a pleasure to hear from uh, hear the wise the wise words of the sage. Um, one last thing I do want to ask you about: we have uh, we have young Yessi Pugliarvi back in the fold. Um, what are your predictions for uh, for his season? with the Oilers this year, um, if any, if you have any expectations at all, which you may not. Well, I think he'll play. Uh, I, I say, I think two things. Number one, I think he's coming in with a, with a much different attitude. And, um, you know, did you ever go to college? Sure. Well, okay. I am the secret professor, so I went to secret college. Okay. All right. Which was, so you, uh, you probably went yeah. to some great you know, Laurier or some wonderful university. Um, but, when you when you out of school, if you go to call go to college, you you have one attitude towards things. But if you've ever seen a 23 year old or a 25 year old go back to college, then you know the difference. They know why they're there. And I think for Pulyarvi, he'll know why he's there. Uh, and and I think that's going to benefit him in a great way. And I also think Tippett is good at developing young players. So I I think 10 to 15 goals on the third line. I don't think it's impossible for him to move up the depth chart at all, but I think that if you expect him to play on a line, say with Kyle Turris, maybe even do some penalty killing before the end of the year, um, th- that's the guy that you're that you're probably looking at. He may score 20 and 25 goals a year in the future, but I don't think he goes that far this year. He'll play though, and and I think I think that was, you know, I, I love the Tyson Berry signing. And for short term, that will have the biggest impact. But the fact that Holland was patient and got Pugliarvi under contract, 10 years from now, we might look back at that and, and mention it as the biggest move that Holland made here uh, in his first two years because that's the kind of impact Pugliarvi could have. He is a giant man. And if he can figure out how to use all of his gifts in the NHL, he could play for 15 years and and – the Oilers need that. Man, they need it so bad. They need their draft picks to work out. And the Pugliarvi thing was just a, a case of absolute mismanagement. When he was drafted, he had no problem staying in Finland. But the Oilers were, were all about getting him over here. They, I believe they promised him NHL time. I believe the coach didn't think he was worth NHL time at the moment that he arrived. And there was a, there was a, a glitch there. There was a chasm uh, there was the Grand Canyon there between coach and GM, and and it was one of the reasons why success uh, uh, eluded them as as a group, Shirelli and McClellan, because I don't think they were on the same page. And and the the real shame is this Finnish kid suffered, and so uh, I think that's all behind them. They'll he'll know from Tippett where what his role is from the start, and uh, you know. Hockey is not that complicated a game. It just isn't. But, you know, young people learn things differently. And if Pogliarvi requires some extra time to, you know, go over the X's and O's, I bet Tippett gives it to him. And, man, I tell you, if there's a town that ever, uh, you know, deserved to have a kid like that turn out after going for Yakupov and then Pogliarvi, I think it's the the city of Edmonton. So I think it, I hope it works out for everybody. Edmonton deserves to have a guy like this turn out for them in their town. And I think Pugliarvi is just a good kid who wanted something and then <clears throat> negotiated it and then wasn't prepared for it. And then after that, there was no backing down. I definitely like him on that on the like the idea of him on that third line with tourists and that being kind of a scoring line with with maybe like a. A little bit, little bit of two-way play, but not not really a shutdown line in in any way, shape, or form necessarily. I am skeptical of him on a line with Connie. I mean, the search for the the wingers to be with Connie now really be, truly begins, and I think it'll be a a long and exciting adventure forward. Um, 
I mean, there were some some rumblings about Connor maybe not wanting to pull Yarvi on his line. I don't know if you put any stock in that. Um, but uh, definitely on that third line with Turris, and I'm, I'm not sure who else, maybe Ennis, maybe Ennis is on the, the top line. Maybe it's an Archibald on that third line. Um, I definitely think they could make some noise, yeah. I will, I'll ruin your evening, and, and then I'll go. Uh, that's how I like to roll. That's usually uh, that's usually my line on a date. What are you talking about? You stole that. Well, you stole my they, line. Number one, this Denishkin kid that we talked about, um, or Bar- I'm sorry, Barazin kid. He's played uh, eight games in the KHL this year and has a couple of points. So and he's played 12 minutes a night when he plays. So he's already playing some KHL action. So he might be a fifth round guy who does turn out. The other thing is, I think Nuge is going to play on the McDavid line. Wow. Wow. Really? Yeah. I, I, I looked at it. I, I, I wrote about it. It's going to be up tomorrow. Uh, man, guys, I've, there's, you just can't do it. They don't have – if they go out and sign somebody or trade somebody, maybe. But if, the Oilers have four forwards, four, who are skilled enough and can, can move the puck and do things. And they're Nuge, Leon – Yamamoto and McDavid, they're going to have to split them up and then find some pieces. That's the only way this thing is going to work. Otherwise, you're, you're going to have one line that scorches everybody, and then McDavid with, uh, um, I don't know if you remember Matt Sundin when he used to play with the Sisters of the Poor and the, you know, the, the, the guy who couldn't see in, with the Leafs 25 years ago. That's sort of what, they're, what they'll be looking at. I, I, don't, I don't think they're going to do that. I think they want McDavid to be... Uh, the guy who attracts the really tough opposition and maybe give the dry side of line a little easier uh, uh, set of, of uh, opposition when they're out on the ice. And so I think you're going to have to put Nuge on the McDavid line. Wow. Wow. I look forward to reading that piece. It kind of buried the lead on us there, though, Mitch. Like, that's a huge, <laughs> that's a huge take. He just dropped a bomb yeah. on well, my head. I and mean, my, bra- my brains are splattered all over the walls right now. Well, that's uh, it was what I was aiming for, boys, and uh, so you know, my job is done here. <laughs> I mean, can you? But if they, I mean, after the outcry in the playoffs about not having the uh, the so-called dynamite line, which I think a lot of people are attached to that line, partially because the nickname for it is such a fucking sweet nickname, like the dynamite yeah. line. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it was a pretty good line. I mean, we were fourteen and four with that line. So well, they so called so in, in twenty-seven games. They outscored the opposition at five on five, 28 to eight. Are you kidding me? But here's the thing. They didn't go out and get a left winger. Like Cassian can play with McDavid. He can. He's not perfect. He makes some mistakes. He needs to stay in the lineup all year. But when Cassian and McDavid play together, there's enough chemistry for them to outscore the opposition. But they didn't get a left winger. And, and, I just don't see anybody. I know Ennis. Everybody says Ennis. I don't see it. I say Ennis may play with with and Yamamoto, but I don't see him playing with McDavid. Interesting. Interesting. Wow. Um, it's funny you even mentioned Cassian because honestly, like uh, we had a we had an episode previously this previous this previous to this where we. Uh, missing Cassian was a big theme because he was out of the lineup at that point in the year. But at this point, I feel like I'm just missing Cassian from just like my mind. Like I've forgotten about Cassian. Like he was so he was so invisible in the playoffs. And I'm kind of assuming, honestly, we're going to lose him in the expansion draft of the year. In or the, I give it like a I give it that's a coin toss to me. So yeah. Well, here's the, here's the thing about Cassian. He can be an effective player. Now he needs to be more disciplined. And I think that he it got away from him last year. But there was a time when, I mean, if you think about 17 in the playoffs, yeah. he was outstanding in the playoffs. He can, he's a player. He can play. But, again, it's the, you know, he's got that Derek Sanderson thing in him where the hardest thing in the world is to consistently do it over and over again for him. But, I mean, he's a mountain, and he can skate, and, and uh, I, he may even penalty kill this year because he can do it. But, um I like Cassian as a player. I think he's overpaid now, and people, will, the fans, will get on him for it. But you know, he, he's not a guy. Um, you know, he's not a guy who I would move off of this team if he's playing well and, and staying in the lineup and not getting suspended. I I think he's 
certainly among the best nine forwards they have. Hmm. I'm on the edge of my seat just thinking about it. Um, fantastic, <laughs> fantastic stuff, uh, Mitch. So great to have you on. Um, you know, we have a lot had a lot to talk about. Um, you had a lot of really interesting tidbits there, and 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 yeah, I mean, it's. Do you have anything you can throw to me that I can obsess over for the next six to eight weeks um, in lieu of, like, other more relevant hockey news? Okay, I'll give you one, and then I have to go because I'm, I'm Sounds good. a high sign here. Really appreciate I gotta it. Take yeah. the, the dog has to pee. So here's the deal. Uh, Philip Broberg is playing 21 minutes a night in the SHL. I, I have spent the last 15 years talking to really smart people like Dello uh, and Rob Volman and Michael Parcati and uh, like really big minds in, in hockey analytics, right? These are not stupid people. Almost to a man, independently of each other, they've told me one thing about great defensemen, and that one thing is this. They all emerge and tell you are by the time they're 20 years old. <laughs> so he's playing 20, almost 21 minutes a night, in the SHL, if now he's, I think he turns 20 next June. So you'd go through the 2021 season, and in the fall of 2021, he'd arrive at 20, and he may announce himself then. And I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying if you start to build the building blocks, I call them arrows. And if you look at his season right now compared to his previous season, Broberg is announcing right now that he's better then certainly I thought he was, and that's something to follow. All right, I'm on it. I'm on it. Thanks, uh, thanks so much for coming on today uh, and giving us so much great stuff. Um, All right, we'll, uh, Ziggy, we'll follow up thanks. with you soon. Yeah, Ziggy, thanks you for letting me go take her out yeah. to the bathroom. We got, we, <laughs> okay. we got you, Ziggy. We got you. Okay, we'll talk soon.